Welcome to the podcast of Leeds First Methodist Church. We are so glad you decided to tune in with us today. The following sermon was preached by Pastor Chris, and it is the second sermon in our church's Therefore Go series. If you would like to watch the entire worship service, you can do so by visiting our website at leadsfirst.org, and at the top of the page, go to Worship and click Online Worship. Today we continue in our sermon series, Therefore Go. This series is rooted in the good news of the gospel of Jesus. In fact, I would say it's the greatest news to all humankind. And that proclamation, that invitation to uh, the whole world is the opportunity, the responsibility of the church. It's an instrument that God has designed and used in this age to share that. It's an essential mission, but sometimes we, the church, may treat it optionally, like we let barriers get in the way. We say, well, I don't want to be too outgoing or be too bold or, or put pressure on anyone. And I read a book recently by a pastor and author named Shane Bishop. And the book is entitled, That's Good News. And he writes, the evangelism imperative comes down to three simple questions. Number one, do you trust the testimony of the Bible? Number two, do you love Jesus enough to share him with people? Number three, do you love people enough to share Jesus with them? And so in this series, we're looking at some of those barriers or some of the hurdles to doing that, and then what it takes to equip us to share the good news of Jesus. A key verse that we guided through this and all of our ministry is the Great Commission, and it comes from Matthew 28, 19. And it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Today, our title for the message is, Therefore, go to your foes. Therefore, go to your foes. Are there any boxing fans in the house? Anybody? Or MMA fans? Any MMA fans? Y'all know what that is? Any WWE fans? Y'all are like, oh, can I raise my hand about it? Yeah, yeah, WWE Any fans of the fighting sports? That's basically what I'm getting at. Well, there was a time whenever I was a bigger fan than I am today. I would even watch, you know, the boxing during the Olympics or whenever it was on. I don't think I ever paid $100 pay-per-view fight for boxing, but, you know, it was something to watch. And then when MMA came out, I started watching something, you know, like to put it in the ring, the fence stand thing. I was like, ah, that's pretty spectacular you know what they're doing each other and I kind of got into it and then one night there was a female round like two girls two females in the ring I was like huh this is kind of intense and if you know MMA do y'all know Ronda Rousey there she's like the she's the bomb in that arena and she took a girl and put her in a arm bar do y'all know what an arm bar is it's where they try to break your or bend your elbow backwards I think I don't know exactly how you do it but when I saw that and I saw the look on the other girl's face and I thought about it I was like I'm done I don't think that was hard I could see some guys like pummeling each other but when they were hurting a girl I was like that just is bad and so I've given up much watching that but going way back what kind of inspired me to to be in that well let me give you a little backstory when I was in high school 
when you got to senior year, you didn't have to take a full load, right? Like you've got enough credits, you might only take three or four classes. And so you had some flexibility for the other two or three. And so me and some of the, my friends, we loaded up on PE classes. <laughs> We're going to show them. And so we played, like I think I had three PE classes when I was in high school. Maybe not the best decision for the principal in, in those. But we'd play some, like, basketball for two hours and then go to the, the um, weight room and do a little bit. And we'd mix and match stuff. But halfway through the year, we'd exhausted all known sports, including, like, some floor hockey. You know, I mean, we just doing everything for those times, just playing, having fun. Well, one of the cats goes, you know what we should try? We should try boxing. In hindsight, you're thinking, hmm. But I was like, sure. <laughs> now, I wasn't the biggest cat or the biggest, strongest or even that necessarily good at a fighter. I was like, well, sure, we're all doing it. We'll do it. And so we stood in the gym. I don't know where it was. It must have been out of sight. Can you imagine a teacher authorizing this? I can't believe they would have said yes. And so we started doing boxing. And I said, well, where are the gloves? And they're, well, we don't have any. Where are those little things they wear, you know, in amateur boxing? They're like, we don't have any. We're just going to box. And then, uh, okay. And so don't trust any 17-year-old that says, anyway. And so we started. And at first, we're doing a little bit of jabs, you know, maybe a little bit of body shots. And it was okay. And then I think I kind of landed a pretty good one. And you could tell it changed. Right? It was no more jabs. Y'all know what a haymaker is? Right, the thing, and then the, this thing, and it started. And then I tell you what: when you get a couple of haymakers landed or a uppercut landed, you're not recreational boxing, right? And so we were like, and then I took one, and I thought about thirty seconds of that, and I was like. I don't think we need to box in PE. And so I gracelessly bowed out and used what influence I had to say, can we do something other than that? You see, there's something about landing a haymaker on somebody or getting a haymaker landed on you where it's hard to stay friends. You quickly become foes. Well, that can be the case in our life, right? I don't mean just like, fist punch. And of course, if you take a couple of blows from somebody, it's hard to be friends. But we sometimes play around with arguing. Oh, I love a good banter, but it doesn't take long for it to escalate into, I don't know if we're that close to friends, or online. Like get on social media, and y'all, I feel like everybody is like we were those dumb kids wanting to box. It's like, sure, it's no big deal. I can just rake your kids over the coal. I can sell all kinds of stuff. And it's like, oh, I was just speaking the truth, right? And it doesn't take long for it to escalate to the point you're no longer friends, you're foes, right? And it, the trouble is, once you've made a foe, it's, the next one is twice as easy to make. Like, I don't care. They can just deal with me, right? Or maybe you've got some friends like that. But whenever we read this passage of Scripture where Jesus says, therefore, go, right, into all the nations, he means even the foes, right? Those that have lambasted us, talked about our kids, or punched us in the face, so to speak, right? And so how are we to live out that command, therefore, go, when we've got some foes, because there are a lot of foes in our world today. And so we're going to look at Scripture, what it teaches about this. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to t look to the book of Matthew. Matthew's in the New Testament. 
It's a scene where it's shortly after Jesus has begun his earthly ministry, where he's God's son come to earth, and he does this thing where he preaches to like many people in the Sermon on the Mount, and now he's inviting individuals to be his disciples or apostles that will help him roll out God's kingdom here on earth. Now, I don't know if Jesus went to the religious elite and like, okay, y'all help me, and they rejected him, or if he just bypassed them. But when you get to know who was a follower of Jesus and his disciples or apostles, it's some unlikely people. If you study a character study of these, we know at least four of the disciples of the 12 were fishermen. Y'all like to fish? Yeah, it's pretty good if you catch anything, but you may not know this, but fish stink. Right? And so, well, it might have been an honorable profession. You weren't like a, a priestly kind of person if you're a fisherman, like for a living. Right? And so it wasn't usually a path to being a leader in the church or religious establishment. There was one person that would be considered like a rebellious or an anarchist or a political protagonist or antagonist, rather. I don't know, whatever. But Anyway, they call him a zealot. There was one we later see called the thief. That was Judas who betrayed Jesus. We don't know what he was. But none of these were people that were close to being, meeting the expectations or qualifications. And so even the author of this book, Matthew, comes from a, a weird place. And so we're going to look at his story and how he was called now in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. We'll go down through 13. I'm reading the New Living Translation. If you've got a Bible, open to that. If you've got the Bible out, switch to the NLT if you want to follow along word for word. Or if you text it here, that reply link, the second one has these scripture passages and a place for you to take notes in it. Here now these words from Matthew 9, beginning in verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Jesus said to him, follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but to those who know they are sinners. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Well, verse 13 culminates a, a series of supporting statements of Jesus' response to those that ask him, the Pharisees, and says, why do y'all eat or hang around with those people? You see, those people in the religious leader's mind were those that were farthest from God. And if Jesus was, as some people said, the Son of God, why would he go get near those people? Especially to, to imply the honor and trust it takes to eat in someone's home. It was even a bigger deal then. And so Jesus begins to compare his work or the kingdom work to that of the doctor that's called to care for the sick, not to just take the money and go to the country club and play golf, right? He's like, I'm not here for the privilege. I'm here to do the work of God's kingdom. It's an analogy to 
being a doctor that cares for the sick. And in the practice of religion, Jesus cites an Old Testament minor prophet of Hosea in prioritizing the mercy or sharing of God's mercy over the religious routine or the sacrifices. It's a foundation moment to those who were, thought it was about what they could do compared to what Jesus said, I've come to do for you. See, the foundation of faith is about knowing you are a sinner. That there's a mark God has drawn that is his perfect will, and as best we can, throwing darts or trying to hit that mark, we can't do it on our own. But Jesus says, I'm going to step in, and I'm going to place your dart on the bullseye. I'm going to live perfectly. I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice. I'm going to die to pay the punishment, the just punishment for sin, which the Bible says is death and eternal separation from God. But the good news is because of what Jesus did, lived a perfect life, died a guiltless death, and rose from that death, he has the power to say, if you'll put your faith in me, repent and believe, I'll save you from that consequence. And so that's the hope or the good news of Jesus, to repent or apologize or say you're sorry, to change from going the wrong direction and start going the right direction to God. And then believe or to make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Our members, existing members of the church have done that. Those that are new members today have affirmed or professed their new faith in Jesus. Have you repented believed, and been saved by Jesus. If you have it, would you do that today? Would you do it even now in your heart and mind? Admit your sin. Believe in Christ as your Savior and confess that to Him and then to others. It seems like nothing typifies the kingdom work of God than the dramatic transformation from a foe to a friend or a believer in Jesus. But rarely, if ever, did Jesus use force in doing that. And so let's look at this passage in depth as to how Jesus modeled or taught us to go to those that are our foes. In your worship outline, you can follow along with these points. Take notes that may, may be helpful to you. Number one, go to your foes that you want to hate. Go to your foes that you want to hate. Have you heard that line from the Robert Frost poem, Mending Wall? Good fences make good neighbors. Y'all have heard that probably, right? Or you felt it probably at least. It seems to get at the heart of our, our sentiment where it's easier to just separate or to leave them behind those that aggravate us. Those that we've done wrong are those that have landed the haymaker in our life, right? I mean, metaphorically. It's that way, have you heard the saying, sibling rivalry? Right? Anybody fight to the death with your sibling? If it, this is video. You might want to not admit mom might still get on to you. But it's true. Sometimes the people we should or could care the most about the ones we wind up fighting and hurting or become our foes, right? Even our next-door neighbors, maybe even family relationships. It's true in the statistics. is a glim or gloomy stat, but a 2021 study found that a majority 
of killings or murders are done by people that know each other. That's what Jesus is getting at when he walks up to Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, which means he was probably a Jewish person that had grown up with all these people and had betrayed them and went to work for the occupying Roman forces and said, I'll take up their money and send it to them. You can imagine this tax collector's booth as a kind of toll booth, like you go through on the road or the pathway walking up. But they collected more than just a passageway. They collected tax on the goods that you were going to buy or sell or if you'd bought them. Well, what happened is with that authority, many of them said, well, Rome is asking for, let's say, 20%, but I'm going to charge you 25%. So not only were they betraying the trust of their people, working for the occupying force, but they added on it, so they made a lot of money on the backs of the people they liked. The commentators say this was probably in Capernaum, which is a city on the Sea of Galilee, which is where Jesus did most of his ministry. And so when they walked up to Matthew, many of them would have known him, said, I know that cat, he's a traitor. It's to him, Jesus walks up and says, follow me. So Matthew was not some foreign foe or some of those people over there, but someone Jesus and his followers knew. They had true hard feelings. They didn't like Matthew or his kind. Yet Jesus went to him and invited him to follow. It's like going up to a guy that your girlfriend left you for who was on your team and then quit and went to play for the other team, and they came in and the rivalry game and beat you, and now you're going up to them and saying, you know what, I want you to be the best man at my wedding. (laughs) You know, it's like, are you kidding me? But that's what Jesus was modeling. Go to your foes, even those that you want to hate. Number two, go to foes that Jesus can transform. Go to foes that Jesus can transform. Verse 9b says, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. That follow and follow me, and Jesus said, is from the Greek word, akaletho, akaletho, something like that. And it means to accompany someone who takes the lead in determining the direction, at least the Lido and Nydia lexicon says. So give the steering wheel to somebody give they got the map and you're going to follow him it's more than just a hey hey come hang out kind of thing it was a be a disciple or be a follower of Jesus it took some level of commitment for Matthew to do that but that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus it's rooted in transformation you could have been running as hard and as fast as you could from God and when you say I believe in Jesus God says I want to draw you back into relationship with me and start following Jesus transformation I say it like this repentance is beautiful but it's a challenge It requires changing your mind about sin and saying, I was wrong, and God, you were right. That's one of the hardest things to do in life is to say, I was wrong, and to tell anybody they were right. And when we transform or are transformed by Christ, we're willingly doing this. Say, God, I was wrong. I'm leaving that behind, and I'm going to follow you. You see this later in Matthew chapter 10, where they list the disciples that Jesus has called all 12 of them. In verse 3, it gives some of their names and then a description of them. It says Thomas, and then Matthew, the tax collector, 
and then James, the son of Alphaeus. He lists that, Matthew the tax collector, not to say he continued to connive and steal and skim from people, but to show the contrast between what he was what he is. He was a tax collector. He was a traitor. He was someone who stole from his friends. Now he's a follower of Jesus. He's a disciple. It doesn't deny what he was, but he says he's different. He's transformed now. He is a disciple. Therefore, go to your foes because Jesus can transform. Number three, go to foes and more foes. <laughs> Go to foes and more foes. You just thought you were supposed to be nice to that one person. Ha, 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 ha. I don't know if that's funny. It can be difficult, right? We know this is true because throughout the Bible, Jesus says stuff like pray for those that hurt you. Love your enemies. Jesus invites Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him, to be a disciple. And once that happens, it's not just, well, there's my little pet project. I've got a good, I've, you know, been nice to that guy. Matthew invites them to dinner at Matthew's house. Jesus and them, Jesus and them. Y'all say that? I'm going to invite Jesus and them. Yeah. So Matthew invites Jesus and them over. And they're sitting, and then he invites his existing friends, the other tax collectors, and despicable people, right? And so they're all mingling together. And it gives the perspective for Matthew that his new faith in Jesus is real. Like, come on, go with me where I go. Right? He didn't leave Jesus at church and then live like the devil the rest of the time. Well, I don't know exactly when he started living right. But he was like, I, this dude is real. I'm following him. I'm bringing him into that. And it also says, I want you to have what I have in faith in Jesus. And from the perspective of Jesus, his actions echo the words he says in verse 13. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus modeled this in his ministry. He said it in his words, and he gave the command to his disciples and to us, to me and you. If you follow Jesus in that great commission. Therefore, go to all the nations. There's some foes in that all. All of us that follow Jesus to all the people. You see, when you reach out to that first foe, God's going to open the door to some more foes. <sighs> but that's the good news. Because the good news of Jesus is about transformation. A few key things that go along with that. It can take risk. Right? It can take some risk. God does not save you to give you this perfect little life. If you follow Jesus, he may take you to some places and some people. You're like, remember this. If you look at the New Testament, if you look at the early church, if you look wherever the church flourishes, followers of Jesus take risk. Ed Stetzer, a pastor and author, writes it like this. He says, put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. 
put your yes on the table and then let God put it on the map. Sometimes, I know you've done this because I've done this. I'll say, yes, God, I'll say yes if you'll make it somewhere that's really nice and around people I like. And then you'll give me a raise. And then I'm sure I can say yes. And Ed Stetzer writes, and I think this is what Jesus is saying, therefore go. Put your yes. I'm going to go. Now I'm going to let Jesus tell me where that is. Whenever you do that, you model what the New Testament church, what the church in history has done, and I guarantee you'll be a part of God's transformational work in your life and the life of those around you. He will use you mightily. Put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. This is not a universal call to martyrdom. Y'all know what that is? Like where you die for your faith? I'm not saying this is God telling me to tell you to go and die for this. And so if you face a foe that's threatening you, you have every right to say, I'm done, <laughs> right? You don't have to go to, in fact, I would say that's probably wise, especially in the case of a foe that's a friend or a family that's abusive. If you're being abused or been abused, God is not necessarily calling you to go to stand that. So if you need help in that case, get help. If I can be helpful, let me know. It's not a call to martyrdom. There are a few people God has called to that. If it's the case, God help you, but this is not a universal call to that. Finally, transformation, not an affirmation. When you go to your foes, God is working in you to bring transformation, not affirmation. Jesus hung out with sinners for days. Jesus hung out with sinners for days to call them to repentance, not to affirm their ways. Does that make sense? You're there, you're a witness to the good news and truth of Jesus to bring about transformation, not affirmation. Jesus offered his love, his calling to a life of transformation. He spent hours, he dove all in with people that everybody else says, are you serious? He never affirmed their unrighteousness or their wickedness or their sin. Be about transformation not affirmation. Therefore, go to your foes and more foes. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the blessing of your faith offered to those who would follow Jesus, believe in his life and death and resurrection. Repent and believe. God, for those that have done that here today, who've done that in their history, God, give us a renewal of that, that we may continually be transformed and part of your going. God, help us to go to those, even the ones we want to hate. Help us to go with a message of transformation. We may be a part of that in our life and the lives of others. Help us to go and keep on going. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love for you to visit us in person at 8.45 a.m. for modern worship or at 11 a.m. for traditional worship. If you would like to plan a visit, simply text the word CONNECT to the number 205-772-4906 and you'll be sent a link to get you started. Thanks again, and God bless.